Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 7. I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 7. That's the passage we'll be focusing on this morning. I'd like to pray before we get started in this message. Lord, I pray that you'd come right now. You know how much I need your help. And Lord, we all need your help to hear your word with hearts that are good soil so that the word goes deep into our hearts and transforms us and changes us. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd move with great power upon each of us and that we would be deeply impacted by this passage. And I pray for your help, Lord. Give me clarity. Give me wisdom. Help me to be faithful to your word. Give me the heart that I need. And Lord, come and visit us now through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In today's passage, Peter is going to talk about how Jesus Christ is coming back, how the end of world history is going to be brought to a completion. And we all know that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've studied God's word, you know that Jesus will come back at the end of history. The problem, though, is that, at least in my background, and maybe some of you have experienced this, is that we've all known people who've gotten so excited about Jesus' return, and in their excitement, they started thinking that, well, he's going to come like maybe like next week or the, in two weeks from now, and they start uh, predicting when he's going to come. Anybody ever heard anybody, people, making predictions about Jesus' return that did not come true? You can just look through church history. There's been dozens of them that haven't happened. I had a youth leader when I was in junior high school, and he was part of a group called the Bachelors Till the Rapture because he was persuaded that the rapture was going to come very soon. Well, since then, he's gotten married, and uh, he still is very excited about Jesus' return, but he's not so excited that he's going off into making predictions and, and saying that it could happen before it actually does. Now, here's the difficulty. When we've seen predictions that don't come true, when we see believers getting excited and joining groups like Bachelors Till the Rapture that end up not being accurate, we can tend to put Jesus' return to the back of our minds. We can tend to ignore it and not have it have a really prominent place in our thinking. But it's prominent all through the New Testament. When you read the letters, when you read the Gospels, what Jesus taught, Jesus is calling us to have our eyes fixed on his soon return, his return. He will return. One reason that's so crucial for us to understand is it's comforting. Deeply, deeply comforting. Many of you are going through trials right now. Heartbreaking difficulties. And throughout the New Testament, we're encouraged to be comforted because Jesus Christ is coming back. Your trial is not the end. He will return. You may die first and go to be with him. Okay, your trial will end then. But when he comes back, all trials will be over. We'll be entered into his presence, loving him, knowing him. All the trials will be a distant memory. So one reason it's crucial to understand Jesus' return is because it will encourage us in our trials. Some of you need that this morning. So let me tell you, Jesus Christ is coming back. You will see him returning. This will happen. Whether you're seeing it from heaven, whether you're seeing it on earth, it will happen. So take heart, take comfort in your trials. But now there's another way that Jesus' return should impact us should encourage us in our trials, but another way is it should challenge the way we're living today. And that's what Peter does in our passage for today. 
This is a very challenging passage. So, so put on your I'm ready to be challenged outfit. Are you ready? That's what Peter's going to do in this passage. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Let me read what Peter says to us. Start with verse 7. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now notice, at the very beginning of verse 7, Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. What does that mean? What is the end of all things, and how is it at hand? Let's start with that question. When Peter talks about the end of all things, he's talking about what happens when Jesus returns to the earth. The Bible says that there are two comings of Christ. The first coming took place 2,000 years ago, roughly. Jesus was born of a virgin. He grew up. He lived in Palestine. He taught. He worked miracles. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. That was the first coming of Christ. But while he was here on earth, he taught that he would come again at the end of history. He will come back to earth at the end of history, and he will gather all of humanity before him. You will be there. I will be there. He'll gather all of humanity before him. And those who have welcomed him and trusted him as their savior and their Lord and their treasure, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You'll be welcomed into the new heavens and the new earth where you'll have the joy of worshiping him and knowing him with all the redeemed forever. But those who have rebelled against Christ, who have turned their backs on him, who have not welcomed him into their lives and trusted him, then they will face an eternity of hell. And that's what Peter's talking about. The end of all things is at hand when Jesus returns. Now, here in verse 7, Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. What does that mean? It's not an easy passage, not an easy phrase. Because one possible meaning, and one that may be the first one that comes into our mind, is that Peter's telling his readers that Jesus will come back soon. But now, if he's telling his readers 2,000 years ago when he wrote this letter that Jesus Christ is coming back soon, how can he say that when it's been 2,000 years and Jesus hasn't come back yet? Do you feel the problem? But there's another way of translating, of understanding that phrase, at hand, not that it means that Jesus is going to come back soon necessarily, but that he can come back at any time. The same phrase can mean at any time, and I want to show you that. Look at James chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. I want to show you this passage. Go ahead and turn there. James chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Here James uses that same phrase, at hand, 
But we will see as he explains it that what he means by saying it is at hand is that it could happen at any time. James chapter 5. So this phrase, the Greek phrase that something is at hand could mean soon, but it also could mean at any time. And that's what I think is going on in 1 Peter. Look at James 5, 8 and 9. Here's what he says. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. There's that same phrase. Underline that. At hand. Same phrase. Now verse 9, he explains it. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So when James says that the coming of the Lord is at hand, what he means is that Jesus, the judge, is standing right at the door. It's like he's standing at the front door, got his hand on the knob, ready to open and walk in. Okay, he's standing right there. His hand is on the knob, which means it could happen at any time. It could be soon. It could be not so soon. But it could happen at any time. He's right there at the door. And the reason that James and Peter and the whole New Testament talks that way is because now that Jesus has come and has lived and died on the cross and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, the next event on God's calendar is the second coming. We are now in the last days. The last days started when Jesus ascended into heaven. The next event on God's timetable is Jesus' return. In the meantime, we're laboring, we're making disciples, we're taking the gospel to all the nations, but Jesus could return at any time. Now, with that understanding, turn back to 1 Peter chapter 4, because that's what Peter is saying. When he says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand, what he means is that Jesus could return at any time. This is so crucial. We need to get this into our minds and into our hearts. Think about what this means. It's so easy to forget about this. I think Satan is constantly trying to get this thought out of our minds, right? Don't think about that, because if you really grasp the reality that Jesus could return at any time, it'll encourage you in your trials, and it'll motivate you in your obedience. So, Lord, I pray that you'd come upon me and all of us. Help us to see this more clearly right now and to feel this more deeply right now through your word, by your spirit. Help us. Okay, so think about this. Life here on earth will not go on forever. This is reality. This is the truth. Jesus Christ will return and bring world history to a close. And the moment that Jesus Christ returns, the eternal destiny and rewards of everyone on earth will have been decided. It'll be completed. Life will be over for everyone. No more changes. Eternal destiny, decided. Eternal rewards, decided. The moment that final trumpet blows, like Jesus taught in Mark 13, and the sky splits open and he descends, at that moment, it'll be over. Life on earth will be over. Eternal destinies, decided. No possibility change. It's a huge event. That's the biggest event in your future. And Peter wants us to understand this could happen at any time. It is at hand. Jesus' hand, it's like he's, he's right outside that door with his hand on the door, hand on the knob. He's right there. He could open that door while I'm still preaching today and come back. Do you believe that? Totally could. While you're eating lunch this afternoon, 
the trumpet blowing, the skies opening, we're going home. While you're sleeping tonight, this is the most important event in your future to mold your life around. This is going to happen. This is truth. Think about it. Satan wants you not to think about it. Think about it. Fight to think about it. Fight to let it go deep into your soul. When we understand that Jesus could return at any time, it will transform our lives. I found a quote from Hudson Taylor, who was one of the first missionaries to inland China, and here's what he said about how this impacted him. He said, well do I remember the effect when God was pleased to open my own heart to this great truth that the Lord Jesus was coming again and that he might come at any time. There was a time in his life when he saw this in the scriptures and God just opened his heart to it. He saw it and it transformed him. And he remembers that the rest of his life. How powerful that day was when he saw that Jesus Christ could return at any time. Oh, may God do that for us today. Just open our hearts. So that's what Peter's talking about. He wants us to be transformed by the truth that Jesus could return at any time. So those first words in verse 7, that gives the, the reason for the rest of the commands he gives in verses 7 through 11. Because notice that right after verse 7, he says, therefore, and the therefore goes all the way down to, to verse 11. So here's four commands that he gives to us, four ways that the truth of Jesus at any time possible return transforms our lives, four of them. Okay, the first one is this. We should devote ourselves to prayer. Read verse 7, you'll see it. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, because the end of all things is at hand, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So when we see that Jesus Christ could come back while I'm still preaching or during lunch or while you're sleeping or at any time, we will devote ourselves to prayer. Jesus could come back at any time. I'm going to pray more. That's how Peter wants us to be thinking here. Now, why? Why pray more? It's because during this time before Jesus returns, God uses our prayer to change lives. Our lives and the lives of people around us. Once Jesus returns, no more possibility of you praying and seeing your life and the life of other people around you change. But before Jesus comes back, God uses our prayers to change our lives and others. So before Jesus returns, you can sit down and pray, Lord, strengthen my faith, make me more fruitful for the gospel, I want to glorify your name, and he will do that. He will strengthen your faith. You'll be more fruitful, and your joy in heaven will be increased because of that forever. So you can pray about your own life. You can pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, strengthen Jim's faith. Strengthen Sally's faith. Lord, make them fruitful for the gospel, for the glory of your name. Increase their joy forever by making them fruitful. You pray that way, God will do that. They'll be strengthened in their faith. They'll be more fruitful in their ministry, and their joy will be increased in heaven forever because of your prayer. You pray for people who don't know the Lord. Father, save our neighbors. Save this person at the workplace. And God can work through your prayers to see them brought to faith for their eternal joy. So this time before Jesus comes back, when you sit down to pray, God changes your life and the lives of people around you. But once Jesus comes back, 
That's it. No more opportunities to, to pray and see your life, your faith strengthened, other people's faith strengthened, other people's ministries increased, and people coming to faith. So here's what this means. 30 minutes of prayer this afternoon, or tonight, or tomorrow, or whenever, can increase your joy, your, your strength in your faith, and increase your joy in God forever. That's huge. 30 minutes of prayer this afternoon for those in your home group or for those sitting next to you here can bring fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them and fresh fruitfulness in their ministry so their joy is increased forever. 30 minutes of prayer this week for your neighbors. Lord, save them. Come, change their hearts. Give them faith. 30 minutes of prayer for that could be used by God to save them. That's what prayer can do. But once Jesus returns, no more opportunities for prayer. This is it. So don't waste your afternoon. Don't waste this week. Don't waste your month. This is the time to pray. Lives are changed. Your life, your brothers and sisters' lives, unbelievers' lives can be impacted. This is the time. Do you see how important this is? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-disciplined, sober-minded for the purpose of prayer. Do you feel that? Don't waste your afternoon. Second. We should earnestly love one another. That's verse 8. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, that, that last phrase is puzzling. Since love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? And I read commentators and people of different views and some people think that based on Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, it means that when we love each other, we overlook each other's sins. And that's true. And that's a possible meaning here. But I don't think that fits Peter's focus on the second coming. The end of all things is at hand. And there's another understanding of how love covers a multitude of sins. And again, I'd like you to turn to James 5, because he helped me understand that phrase. So turn to James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. I want you to see how James uses that phrase, because that's how I think Peter's using it in 1 Peter chapter 4. James 5, 19 and 20. I'm asking the question, how does love cover a multitude of sins? One of the reasons we should love each other is because our love will cover a multitude of sins. What does that mean? Look at what James says in verses 19 and 20. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back to the truth. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his, the sinner's, soul from death, eternal death, and will cover a multitude of sins. So if someone's wandering away from the faith, and in love you humbly, tenderly, but boldly and strongly go after them and plead with them and maybe weep before them and, and come back to the Lord. When you do that, James says, you'll save their soul from death and you'll cover a multitude of sins. Now, I don't believe someone can lose their salvation. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I think when God saves someone, he starts a good work in you that he will continue all the way to, to bring you to heaven. Everybody who's saved will enter heaven. But... I think the Bible also teaches that one of the ways God keeps us in the faith and keeps us from turning away is through each other's love and encouragement. 
I might have already mentioned this here on a Friday morning, but you know, I've heard John Piper say that he believes in eternal security, that is, once saved, always saved, but he says the Bible also teaches that eternal security is a community effort. It's a community effort. That's what James is teaching here in James chapter 5. And I think that's what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. So let's turn back to 1 Peter chapter 4. So when we love each other, which especially means, how's your faith? How are you being tempted? How are you being tried? Are you struggling? Are you discouraged? I love you. I care about you. I'm no better than you. We're all in this battle together. How can I encourage you? How can I keep you in the faith? When we love each other in that way, we will bring that person back to the faith and their sins will be covered by Jesus' blood. Because when you're in the truth, your sins are covered by Jesus' blood and Jesus' righteousness. So that's, in my opinion, what James is talking about here in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly because love, that is, as you pursue each other, keep each other in the faith, bring each other back to the faith, covers a multitude of sins. So, earnestly love each other. Off-island church, are you loving each other earnestly? This last week, have there been people in the body of Christ here that you've loved and, and encouraged and prayed with and asked how are you doing and listened and wept with them and shared God's word with them and prayed for them and loved them. Have we done that? I know you have. Let's do it more. Okay. Now, what does that have to do with the very beginning of verse 7, with the end of all things is at hand? What does that have to do with the fact that Jesus could return at any time? I ponder that. I struggle with that. And here's what I think Peter's saying. Once Christ returns, we won't have any more opportunities to, to go out and, and bring someone back. If you see someone drifting from the faith and you just let it go and Jesus comes back, it could be too late, right? I think that's what Peter has in mind. We don't have forever. If someone's drifting from the faith, this is urgent. Now again, I don't believe someone can lose their salvation, but if someone's drifting I don't know what's going on. Have they been saved? Have they not? I don't know. We're supposed to just go after them and reach out to them. Because if we don't and Jesus comes back, if we just let people be, keep drifting, it could be too late. The only time we can bring people back to the truth, we can love people back to the faith, is now. So is there someone you know here, maybe back in your home country, who you know is drifting from the faith and you've been putting off calling them? Sending them an email, reaching out to them in some way, don't put it off. Don't put it off. The end of all things is at hand. Jesus' return is at hand. He's standing at the door with his hand on the doorknob. It could happen in the next five seconds. Love them. Love each other. Keep each other in the faith. That's the second command. Third, we should show hospitality to each other. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And notice he says to one another. So I think he's focused here on believers showing hospitality to one another. We should show hospitality to those who aren't yet believers. Don't stop doing that. But here, Peter's focus is on showing hospitality to fellow believers. Now, why does he 
have to say, do it without grumbling. Okay? Why? Well, it's because hospitality can be hard work, right? It can mean cleaning. It can mean cooking. It can mean change of schedule, change of your rhythm. It can take a lot of energy. It can cost money. It can cost time, right? Hospitality can take time, energy, and effort, and therefore, hospitality can produce grumbling. And so Peter says, show hospitality to each other without grumbling. Okay, let's take, take that to heart. Now, why is hospitality so important? Why is it so crucial? I think what Peter has in mind, to, to link it in with the fact that the end of all things is at hand, is that when you invite a believer over to your home for coffee, or for a meal, or maybe for an, an extended stay, that will give you opportunity for some deep conversation. That will give time for hearts to open up. That will give opportunities for God's word to be spoken, and for prayers to be prayed, and for love to be shown, and for encouragement to be given. In other words, hospitality gives time for deep, heart-to-heart fellowship where you share what's really going on in your life and you give and receive deep, strengthening encouragement. That's what I think Peter's talking about here. And again, to link this back up with the beginning of verse 7, how does the fact that the end of all things could happen at any time, how does this connect with the fact that Jesus could return at any time? Again, it's because once Jesus returns, we will no longer have the opportunity to strengthen other believers' faith. We'll all be strong in heaven, be transformed, we'll have whatever level of reward, joy we'll have, we'll all be there, but you'll never anymore have an opportunity to strengthen the brother's faith so their strength grows, so their fruitfulness grows, so they have even more joy in God forever. Once Jesus returns, that opportunity will be over. This is our time here on earth where we can have each other into our homes and love and listen and weep and laugh and pray and share and build each other up. This is the time. Imagine, this summer could be your last opportunity to show hospitality to God's people. This could be it. Let's take full advantage of it and show each other hospitality. Are you being challenged enough yet? This is a challenging passage, but there's one more, one more challenge Peter wants to give to us, verses 10 and 11. He says, we should serve each other with the gifts God has given us. Verses 10 and 11, here's what he says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, each of us has received spiritual gifts from God. God has given each of us gifts which he wants us to use to strengthen each other in the faith, to advance the gospel. So Peter says there's speaking gifts and there's serving gifts. There's speaking gifts like Speaking a word of encouragement, sharing God's word, counseling someone, teaching, preaching. There's speaking gifts. There's also serving gifts, cooking, organizing, 
helping, driving, babysitting, all those different kinds of things. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. And Peter wants those with speaking gifts to speak the oracles of God, which means that our words are based on God's word. We're speaking the truth of God's word to people. And he wants those with serving gifts to serve with reliance on God's strength, because then you'll be able to keep serving even when you're weary or feeling tired. So that's what Peter's calling us to do, serve each other with the gifts God has given us. So how are you doing in serving each other? Those in your home group, other people around you, how are we doing in that? Now, what does that have to do with the fact that Jesus could return at any time? Remember, that first part of verse 7 is the reason for all the commands that follow, verse 7 through 11. So what does Jesus returning at any time have to do with our serving each other with speaking gifts and serving gifts? I read a lot of commentaries, and here's the answer that I think makes the most sense. It's in verse 11, second half of verse 11. Let's read all of verse 11, though. Peter says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's what I think Peter is saying. The purpose of the universe is to display God's glory in Jesus Christ forever and ever for our eternal joy. That's the purpose of the universe. That's why God created. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why everything. To display the glory of God in Jesus Christ forever and ever for our eternal joy. And one way that God's glory in Christ will be displayed is in the way that God's people throughout church history have spoken God's words and served other people. Because in heaven, all the redeemed will be able to look back and be able to see how throughout church history, God's people, for God's glory, have served and have spoken. It's like God will show a video, or it'll, even be, it'll be better than that, but we'll, we'll be seeing church history, and for example, we'll be seeing Peter on the day of Pentecost, speaking the oracles of God, preaching Jesus to those very men who just a little while before had crucified Jesus. And Peter boldly, fearlessly, preaches, you crucified the Messiah. Risked his life to do so. Why would he risk his life? Because of the glory of Jesus Christ. He knows Jesus. He loves Jesus. He's speaking the glory of Jesus. And all the redeemed in heaven will be able to see a clip of Peter on Pentecost. We'll see the glory of God in Jesus displayed through that. Or when Paul, heading to Rome, knowing full well that afflictions and imprisonment awaited him there, why would Paul go to Rome knowing that he was going to suffer there? Because of the glory of Jesus. He had seen Jesus. He knew Jesus. Jesus Christ was worth it all. And Paul's traveling on the road to Rome displays the glory of God in Christ. And all the redeemed will be able to see God's glory displayed through that as we look back in church history and see Paul on the road to, to Rome. Or Stephen, when he's preaching to unbelievers who are hostile and he risks his life and they end up stoning him because of what he says about Jesus. So all through church history, but see, not just big figures like Stephen and Paul and Peter, but I think all the redeemed 
will see God's glory in Christ displayed in the way Pastor Matt and Bonnie have adopted two orphan boys from Ethiopia, right? In the way that Cindy Ike is here caring for the children, loving the children, a lot of behind-the-scenes, unnoticed ministry, but oh, in heaven, all the redeemed are going to see, look at Cindy loving those kids. Jesus, you're glorious. Look at how you filled her heart and enabled her to do that. Or as Ray and Daisy lead their home or home group or other home group leaders here, loving your people, serving your people, caring for your people, all the redeemed in heaven are going to have a time where, look at Ray, look at Daisy, look at the off-island home group leaders, look at them serving and loving. That just displays the glory of Jesus Christ and all the redeemed. Let's, let's just sing it again to, to praise God, to praise Jesus Christ for all that he's done. I think that's what Peter has in mind. When we speak God's words to each other, when we serve each other, even in ways that in this world no one notices, it will be to God's glory in Jesus Christ because forever the redeemed will see his glory displayed in your speaking and your serving. Now let that transform your vision of what the rest of your life could look like. You only have so many more years to live as a display of God's glory in Jesus Christ. You only have so many more years. And when you are in heaven and you see Jesus Christ before you, the Savior who bore your sins in his body on the cross, who was fully God, who became man, humbled himself to that point, to the point of death on the cross, when you see Jesus Christ ablaze with beauty and glory and majesty, you will be so glad that you lived for his glory. You'll be so glad that your speaking and your serving have been a displays of his glory. You'll be so glad that your life here on earth contributed to all the redeemed seeing and displaying and worshiping the glory of God in Jesus Christ. This is what life is about between now and when Jesus returns. Speaking God's words, serving with God's strength for the glory of Jesus so that his glory will be displayed. This is what life is about. The end of all things is at hand. The coming of Jesus could take place at any time. This could be your last year. Think about this. This could be your last year to speak God's words, to serve in God's strength. Take full advantage of it. Now, that's what Peter's saying in this passage. Challenging four commands. I think we're all feeling, I'm feeling it like, okay, Lord, help me. Now, here's the good news. You're feeling the challenge. What do you do? Here's what we do. We turn to Jesus and we say, help me. Forgive me for how I have not been doing this as I should. That's what all of us should be saying this morning, right? None of us have done this the way we should. I haven't. You haven't. So what do we do? We come to Jesus and we say, forgive me. Help me. Change my heart. Help me see this more clearly. I go through lengthy periods of my life where I don't even think about you coming back. Help me to see this more clearly. And then you open up this passage and take time to pray over these verses. Verse 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Pray over them. Say, Lord, change me with your word. Help me see this. Help me feel this. Help me live in light of this. And as you pray and as you ask God to do this, he will change you. You will see your heart and your life change in the days and weeks and months ahead. So don't give up. Turn to Jesus and say, help me. And he will do that. Let me pray that for us right now. 
Father, this is a very challenging passage. We all need to do better in it. And I pray that you would help us. And you promise to do that when we turn to you and meaningfully from our hearts say, help us, you will help us. Forgive us for the times we have not prayed, loved, served. Help us to see more clearly that Jesus will come back, could come back at any time. Help us live in light of that reality. Grip our hearts with that truth so that we will pray, so that we will love each other, so that we will show hospitality to each other, so we will speak and serve with the gifts you've given to us so that you will be glorified forever. Help us do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.